This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting against ageism in the workplace and the marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca. Citing air pollution as one of the biggest environmental threats to human health, the World Health Organization has just introduced new guidelines aimed at reducing deaths from key pollutants that cause cancer, cardiovascular, and respiratory diseases. The agency believes these new, stricter rules could save millions of lives after finding that air pollution's impact on health is far worse than previously thought. We reached environmental health scientist Dr. Jeffrey Brook at the University of Toronto. The WHO should really be applauded for taking this real firm stand on the health basis for air pollution. And at the same time, they're tackling this for several pollutants together, not just one or two. And that's, that's really uh, you know, a gargantuan task uh, that, they, that they've gone through a number of years. Uh, and it's certainly been a courageous uh, you know, step to, to, to state the, you know, the, the truth that levels need to come down considerably. It seems to also come with a sense of urgency. So how impactful will these changes be? Well, the urgency is certainly a key part of being impactful. Um, you know, everybody does look to the WHO for this advice, particularly in countries where they don't have you know, the capability to, to synthesize the information and set their own guidelines. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the profile that's being raised now uh, will, will help make everybody realize how critical it is that we clean up the air more. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, these guidelines, you know, have been long time in coming. Uh, they're quite overdue. What actual things will have lower limits on, placed on them? I, I, I say that most of the pollutants that I've looked at closely have had their limits lowered. Um, you know, in reality, nothing has changed, though, from the current research evidence that, you know, air pollution, you know, even at low levels, has physiological effects that, you know, lead to chronic diseases, cardiovascular disease, respiratory disease, maybe even neurological disease, uh, you know, and reduced lifespan, uh, and that some people are more susceptible. So those things, you know, we, we've really already known over the last few years of building evidence. Um, what's really great, though, is, is that, uh, you know, the WHO has set these levels to be very low and hence you know, more protective guidelines than were there before. These objectives really are out of reach in many countries, not in Canada, but in many countries, you know, they're so far below current levels. Why is it, do you think, that we've seen a reduction in smoking as new health evidence emerges about the dangers of cancer, but we seem to be much slower to react to air pollution and climate change? Well, it's, it's part of our society, our burning of fossil fuels, the, the convenient way of life we have, you know, the overconsumption that we experience. So, you know, it's it's not an individual choice about smoking uh, or, you know, an individual choice about the money you want to spend on smoking. It's just ingrained in our ways of life. I know that um, the statements that are coming out uh, around this announcement are linking, you know, air pollution and climate change more strongly and making the point very clearly that, um, if we 
get serious about reducing our burning of fossil fuels and our carbon emissions that uh, we're even more assuredly going to reap great health benefits because air pollution will come down at the same time. The good news is that during the pandemic, we saw Canada's big cities see air pollution fall by a third. But according to the WHO's study and report that air pollution's impact on health now is far worse than previously thought. That's right. That's right. And uh, we can thank a lot of this evidence to work done right here in Canada, um, where, you know, because we do have low air pollution levels, we can look at how at these lower levels, the population is being affected. And um, those studies have guided uh, many uh, decision makers or bodies like the WHO around the world uh, to um, lower standards, um, consider that if we, um, you know, can look at sort of the alternate scenario of, of air pollution going away, um, and then we count, you know, what we'd expect to be uh, um, achieved in terms of lives saved. And with the Canadian evidence, we can start to count those benefits down to much lower levels before one might say, well, below 10 or whatever standard might be, we don't count benefits because we don't know if there are really effects. Now WHO is saying we should count benefits of air pollution reduction right down to these low levels. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. No problem. That was U of T environmental health scientist, Dr. Jeffrey Brook. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Christine Ross in for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP. Helping you unlock money you didn't know you had. Members-only discounts that can save you tons. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomers worldwide. I'm Christine Ross, in for Libby's Nimer. A post-mortem on Monday's federal election and the World Health Organization says new lower air pollution could save millions of lives. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. New research suggests a diet rich in dairy fat may lower the risk of heart disease and the type and source of the fat is actually more important than the amount. The study, from an international team of experts, challenges the view that full-fat dairy products like cheese, yogurt, and milk should be avoided because of their high-saturated-fat content. Researchers say avoid products with added sugar or sodium, for instance, by full-fat, unflavored yogurt rather than low-fat. The world's tallest population is shrinking, and scientists want to know why. For years, the Netherlands has held the world title for having the tallest people on the planet, six feet for men, about five foot six for women. But just released data suggests the height of the average Dutch person is shrinking, and one theory is the financial crisis that has meant an increase in unhealthy and more affordable food. Another notes increased immigration of shorter, new population groups. Meantime, Canadians are not growing as fast as those of some other countries. Canadian men were the fifth tallest in the world back in 1914, but 27th a century later. And Americans are growing heavier 
rather than taller. Former Governor General Julie Payette has a new job, at least a temporary one. The woman who once lived at Rideau Hall and was referred to as Her Excellency was spotted working as a returning officer at a Montreal area riding this past week. The disgraced former Governor General resigned her position after a damning report on a toxic work environment. Payette receives an annual pension of $150,000 for life. To replace her, the Trudeau government appointed Mary Simon, originally from Nunavut. More than 90 years after her first voyage, Maine's oldest lobster harvester is still doing the job at 101. Virginia Oliver is the oldest lobster fisher in the state and quite possibly in the world. She still faithfully tends to her 200 traps along with her 78-year-old son and says she has no plans to quit anytime soon. Oliver still gets excited about a lobster dinner and fixes one for herself once a week. I'm Christine Ross, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. If you did not vote for us, I want you to know that we will stand up for you and work for you every single day. Was it a $600 million much ado about nothing? The dust is settling on the federal election that did little to shift the balance of power in Ottawa. Call it Groundhog Day or Deja Vu, but Justin Trudeau returns to power again to form a minority government. No leaders have stepped down, but Trudeau failed to secure a majority. Aaron O'Toole and Jagmeet Singh failed to achieve breakthroughs for the Conservatives and NDP, and the leaders of the People's Party of Canada and the Green Party failed to win their seats. Zoomer News Vice President Libby Snymer assembled a group of political pundits to weigh in. The Prime Minister spoke to unity, but the election highlighted the divisions among us. Quebec versus the rest of Canada, East versus West, vaccinated against unvaccinated, and yes, even young against old, not to mention a growing fringe of angry, disaffected people. So what part of this is most urgent? And Jason, you were talking about the popular support for the Conservatives, but it's mostly in the West versus the Central Canada and the East, which are more to the left. So what about all these rifts? Yeah, it's it's difficult. So one, one thing I think, I mean, we lost Ontario by three or four points. It was very close. We lost the 905 by more than a handful, a lot closer than last time. So that's a step forward. But I, I generally agree with your contention, which is, um, you know, uh, Eastern Canada is the place that the Conservatives need to grow. But just on the point that you're trying to make, which is, I thought the Prime Minister, it's a bit disingenuous. Now, I realize I'm a political opponent of the Prime Minister, and I congratulate him on his win. They won this election campaign. Uh, this was not the sunny ways Justin Trudeau of 2015. This was a different Justin Trudeau who won this campaign. He spent the last two or three weeks of this campaign essentially calling people names. And I, and I thought, um, as frustrated as we all are with those who are unvaccinated, um, Mr. Trudeau, uh, you know, really used that to his advantage and, and it, and it might have won them this election. But I do think there's long-term consequences to that. There's going to be anger long-term. Uh, there's going to be a disaffected fringe that's going to continue. I thought the prime minister, I thought he did a lot to stoke division in this campaign, and he's going to have to do a lot to bring everyone together at the end of it. Bob? 
Yeah, I think that's nonsense and I don't agree with it. Uh, I think if we just take a look at our vaccination levels across the, uh, the country, they've been pretty good pretty, uh, across the board. I think he worked his tail off uh, in the last 18 months with the provinces. Uh, he had over 36 different meetings with uh, premiers. I think they did a good job getting PPE out to people. So I think that there was a good job done uh, on uh on this file, and I think Canadians, uh, Canadians recognize that. Is it perfect? No. They did try to get as many people vaccinated as possible, but there is a hardcore, a, a wacko element, I'll be honest, uh, out there <laughs> who are not prepared to play ball. And I'm sorry, they don't get to dictate to the 90% of us what happens in this country. We need to move forward. We need to get the economy going again. We need to get lives back. We need to have, uh, have a situation where people can visit uh, their parents again in homes and other things like that. And we can't, we can't let this hostage taking continue. So I agree with the prime minister on this and I completely disagree with Jason. But the question is, did the prime minister stoke divisions? Um, Brilliant. your- Brilliantly. I mean, we're not talking about the underlying morale of it is do you agree with him or not he was brilliant at stoking the divisions but and by the way the the tiny vocal minority <clears throat> did get get to dictate a lot more than i've seen in the media with with all due respect to my friend from the conservatives who said in the first round the pp uh, people's party cost them a few votes here and there they cost them 23 seats there are 23 seats that if you added the people's party vote to the conservative vote the conservatives would have won those seats. So Maxime Bernier, without w- winning a seat, could have cost O'Toole the elect. Point is that the conservatives would have loved to have those votes in those close ridings. And the real division is deeper than what Trudeau did during an election campaign. And I'm not necessarily naive about what he did. He played the cards brilliantly. Me as just an ordinary voter. But there are very deep divisions uh, and there are deep divisions we know within the conservatives between the real conservative, the conservative conservatives and the red Tories. That is going to hang like a weight around their neck. On the liberal side, he can't win a majority because he can't hold the block to under 30 seats. So he's a permanent minority prime minister. Is he going to live with that for the next two years or is he going to listen to the UN come calling with some nice offer? I no. predict the latter, but we'll see. To our NDP women, the NDP definitely going to be holding the balance of power. They're the most natural coalition partners. But as observers, do you think that Justin Trudeau will pay a price or Aaron O'Toole, Sarah Singh? They maybe need to look at a a leadership review for Aaron O'Toole. I know that uh, just shortly after the election, the knives certainly came out um, with respect to his performance, um, some calling it lackluster. Uh, I think for us, um, you know, as New Democrats, uh, we're proud of the work that Jigmeet has done. And I think he's going to hold uh, a a similar position as he did before in terms of really pushing progressive ideas forward, holding uh, Justin Trudeau to account. Um, I think he did that brilliantly in the last parliament, and I'm hoping to see more of that. But I think in terms of this election, I mean, this was an election that no one wanted. Justin Trudeau uh, told voters he would not uh, be calling an election uh, before it it should be happening, and he did the opposite. And I think he has still a long way to go in order to gain the trust of Canadians. Um, I also think it's important to note that, you know, while I was out door knocking, what I was hearing from many, that their vote for the Liberal Party wasn't in support of the Liberal Party, it was to keep Conservatives out. 
Aaron O'Toole is hoping he will still be around to lead the conservatives through the next election, whenever it's called. But is the reason he's not our new prime minister because he rejected vaccine mandates and refused to criticize Jason Kenney's handling of the pandemic in Alberta. The Liberals failed to make the pandemic an issue at the outset, but did it help them in the end? And given that O'Toole went to the centre on everything else, why not this? Jason, uh, I have to say that's something that doesn't make sense to me. There are two things that uh, I think Mr. O'Toole, if he had to had to go back, he would probably change. The first would have been, um, he probably would have dealt with the vaccine mandate question in a different way. I think you do have to show leadership on this. I think he was in a very difficult position. I think he probably should have chosen uh, the other alternative or his team should have chosen the other alternative. It's water under the bridge. It didn't hurt him for a couple of weeks. It really hurt him in the last couple of weeks of the campaign. And I think that's something that he'd like to want, he would want, want to have back. The other thing is I think they probably would have wanted to leave out um, any references to assault rifles in their uh, in their election platform, I thought that was something that uh, that that came back to bite them in a in a in a very uh, easy way to predict. Um, and I think they just had no defense for it. I think they had a ton of momentum the first two three weeks of the campaign. Um, I think they lost that momentum based on those those couple of issues in the in the last part of the campaign. That said, on balance, as I've said it a couple of times. I think O'Toole uh, ran personally, performed very, very, very well. I think on those couple of issues, team probably let him down. And uh, and I think uh, he's got a real shot to be prime minister someday if, uh, if the party sticks with him. Bob, the conventional wisdom at the beginning was that Team Trudeau tried to turn the pandemic into a wedge issue, but failed. But at the end... Uh, certainly when we saw what was going on in Alberta, uh, do you think that's what turned it th- to them? What's, what's your view of the role of the pandemic in this victory? Number one, Team Trudeau was rusty off the top. I think they were suffering from governmentitis. Uh, I don't think they were as well prepared for the campaign as the Conservatives were. And I thought the con- uh, Conservatives ran a good campaign. I agree with Jason. I thought uh, O'Toole did quite a good job as the Conservative leader. Uh, I thought their platform rollout was good. I thought they had a very solid 10 days. They seemed to run out of gas after that. And then they seemed to step on a few landmines. The vaccination one is a big landmine. And it really did raise, I think, questions with Canadians. Uh, assault rifles, for the life of me, why they continue to put that in their uh, platform. It's like handing us a baseball bat in every election. So that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, I don't think Premier Kenny helped them at all. And I think there is one thing that they do need to do, and far be it for me to be giving them too much advice, but you know, there are 60 seats in the 416-905 here in the Toronto area. This is the second or third round where they really haven't had any big name candidates or some really, really strong candidates out there. Uh, They had a a couple, Melissa Lansman and Thornhill is one who comes to mind, but they've got to do a better job on the ground organizing and they have to do a better uh, job on the ground uh, recruiting if they're going to be taken serious, uh, seriously in an area like this. So they have work to do, but overall, I think the least of their problems is Mr. O'Toole. I think they've got some policy issues and some organizational issues. That was a panel of experts commenting on this week's federal election hosted by Libby Zneimer. The segment airs on our sister station, Vision TV. I'm Christine Ross, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, a dire warning about air pollution, but new guidelines could save lives. 
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.